Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now you're welcome along, Wednesday Night Rugby. So very happy to say we have reunited Stuart Barnes and Keith Wood. We chatted on the eve of the tournament and we said we would check in ahead of England, Ireland. And here we are, round four. Keith, we had to bring Barnes back, am I right? Oh, we have to anyway. I mean, he's uh, he's a cranky man, but uh, tales are often like that, you know. And uh, you know, he, he ended up having a little bit more calm in the front row, you know. But um, yeah, it's good to have him back. It's a, a different opinion, which we like. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like a bit of a challenge from time to time too, which is no harm. Would you have a reputation as being cranky at ever at, at all, Stuart? I wouldn't have you in the cranky vicinity. I think cranky is quite calm. Um, I'm quite happy not to be mainstream. Yeah, let's go that way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you can get the ball rolling for us then, because obviously we've chatted with Keith over the last number of weeks. Maybe just broad strokes to start. What are your thoughts on, say, the quality of rugby and two, then how the various teams have performed so far? Um, I think it's a, a, a triangulated tournament. At the top of it, you've got France and Ireland who have been a long way clear of everyone. Uh, unfortunately, Italy are a long way uh, back at the bottom. And then you've got Scotland, uh, Wales and England, who I think have been pretty much all of a sort. You know, if you think about it, uh, Scotland just beat England at home. Wales just beat Scotland in Cardiff. England just about hung on against Wales at home. They're all very similar. Um, it's a big gap at the moment between uh, one and two and the rest. On uh, Twickenham, Keith, am I right in saying you missed out in 1994 just? You made your debut in 94, but I think you missed out on Twickenham. I was on the bench in 94. Okay. Okay. What are your memories of that day? Because this was a big deal. This was, what, 1982 was the previous win there, so you'd been waiting a while. Um, Yeah, my memories of it were, again, I was sitting on the bench with Gary Halpin, which meant too many jellies, which is always an uncomfortable thing. Um, We were sitting in front of... Prince Charles, which if I remember rightly, because that's where the subs were. Um, Ken O'Connell kept going ballistic on the bench and then he went on off, off came off the bench um, and uh, got heavily involved in two or three, you know, really important pieces of play. Um, I remember going ballistic when Gagan scored in the corner. You know, when you watch subs now, they tend to be fairly calm. We were not any of that. So it was an amazing thing. So my memory of that, afterwards is it was the old Twickenham so the old changing rooms were before they were before it was torn down <clears throat> all the bads that were inside in the changing rooms as well but we have a photograph that is uh, two photographs spliced together of the whole change room in there and we're all very young everybody's very young it's it was it was magnificent and you know, Ireland had beaten England the previous year in Dublin when um, Mick Galway had scored in the corner and then it was in 94 it was Simon Gagan and it was um, it was a great move Richard uh, Wallace joined the line um, made the extra man and uh, and Gagan did everything technically wrong apart from scoring so he had the ball in the wrong hand um, running like an absolute swirling dervish but it was an incredible incredible score and um, sure it was it was mad it was magic I remember <clears throat> in the Hilton afterwards in Park Lane We'd, it was a kind of relatively crazy evening. It was just, it was an awful lot of fun with it. And uh, I think the Irish and the English guys then and now seem to get on incredibly well. So 
Um, and because it was it was such a, a big game, there was a, a fairly big night afterwards. Mm. Stuart, I have it that your last game for England is 93 against Ireland, a defeat in Dublin, 17-3. Is that right? It is, yeah. I was on the bench, by the way, that day. Uh, counterbalancing Keith on the Irish bench. Barnes was the sort of 31-year-old saying, Jesus, we're crap. Why are we picking this team? Um, it was very different then because if you're on the bench, you're thinking, God, I want to get on there. I want to try and do something. And you just, if your team are losing, you sort of, you want your team to win, but you're so frustrated. And um, I remember both games very well. And I remember, as Keith says, uh, Simon Gagan's try. And uh, I think Ireland just about deserved it that day. And what I always found interesting, though, I always read the press and, and there was always this view about the arrogant English. And don't get me wrong, there, there has been a degree, I think, culturally uh, about that. But I can assure you, the 1993 game, it wasn't a matter of arrogance. Um, we'd beaten Scotland the week before, but hadn't been a great performance. And I believe Ireland had probably won in Cardiff. And... Um, uh, we expected fire and fury. We just didn't deal with it very well. And the fact that Cheltenham Racing Festival came the week before the Ireland game did not help the preparation of England's number 10 on that day. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, good. I mean, we, I, I can't remember. I think we met up at the Petersham Hotel in Richmond on the Wednesday night, train Wednesday. Thursday, and then we flew to Ireland. But I know for certain that I was with my crew about 10 miles out of town uh, the Monday before Cheltenham, and I was there on the Tuesday getting interviewed by uh, Radio 5 with Richard Dunwoody when we were taking the English-Irish, the Anglo-Irish view on horse racing and rugby. And it was a, it was a wonderful day. And, and I think I lost quite a lot of money on that Tuesday to Irish-trained horses. And that was before... Ireland used to win everything at Cheltenham. And I didn't realise at the time it was a, a, an awful omen for what was to come. Awful. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting to get your perspectives on then because now the build-up this week is unusual in that so many are tipping Ireland to win, Twickenham notwithstanding. And Joe Marler maybe summed up the change in atmosphere because I think it's fair to say generally for Ireland England games, for the Irish players, it was the big game the arch enemy, whereas England have quite a few arch enemies, so I'm not sure it excited them in quite the same way. So Marler said of this week, there's definitely a sense of, okay, Ireland are very good. With the greatest respect, Wales were missing a fair few names. There was probably a little more expectation on us to win that game, whereas Ireland are full bore and they've been together for some time now. It's definitely noticeable in training. And he was asked, you know, can you remember a time when you weren't really favourites at Twickenham? And he was like saying, maybe New Zealand once, but not really. So that is a, a major shift in the atmosphere. And Keith, we're not used to England against Ireland at Twickenham with an underdog mentality. And that is a, an interesting shift here. It is. And I've been interested with, with a lot of the commentary for the last couple of weeks. And there is a, there's faint praise and that, um, that kind of joy that you feel as if they're hiding in the long grass um, for you. And there is a sense of that, actually. And... Um, I don't want to play into that too much, but <clears throat> Marler was Marler was exactly the right man to put out in front of the media this week. I mean, he talked his way around everything. He didn't answer anything. He just kind of had a bit of fun, which um, there is, uh, look, there's, there's times that he's, he's got 
heavily criticised and he's done things that he's at the, on the field that should be criticised. Uh, but he is a bit of a breath of fresh air and there is, you wouldn't be entirely certain what's going to come out. And that's kind of good fun because it's, he, he seems to carry it lightly. And um, um, I think there's a, there's something wonderful about seeing a, a, an international player just wear it without it becoming too serious all the time. And, you know, that could have been leveled definitely at me and, and an awful lot of other ones that I used to like to have a bit of fun in the press conferences. But actually, if you're asked a serious question, you get a, you end up getting a serious answer. So <coughs> I don't know whether um, uh, I don't know whether he believes it entirely, um, and I don't know whether it's arrogance. What I do know is England, when they play at home, are unbelievably confident. The second they step out in the field, this is their home. This is where they expect to do incredibly well. And so I wouldn't, I always think that brings them to a slightly higher level than even if their playing ability isn't great. And I think they're slightly disjointed at the present moment in time. I, I think with the amount, the amount of chopping and changing that have gone on in the English team, I don't know that you could say that there is a huge amount of arrogance behind them. Um, I think they're confident because they're at home, but I don't think they're confident because they're a fully formed team because I don't think they are a fully formed team yet. Yeah. Stuart, would you see England this week as confident home advantage where England, this is our patch, or would you see them as a touch worried and more, God, we're up against it here, underdog type mentality? Um, I don't know about a touch worried, um, but there will be trepidation. I think, you know, these guys watch an awful lot of video analysis. They watch matches and it doesn't really matter what we're saying on this pod and you know, what someone's saying on TV or I'm writing in the press in England, they'll know, they'll know deep down, no matter what anyone says, that Ireland are markedly the superior team at the moment. As Keith says, England are disjointed. Um, and they'll understand that. And they have won two games, but it's not about performances that, that breeds confidence. So... I think it's very important to start. Twickenham is one of its... It is worth points to England. It's probably, I, I don't know, seven to ten people say. I, I don't know how you measure these things. But it's worth a few to England. And so if they get off to a good start, you know, you can you can say to yourself, they're going to try early on. They're sort of 12 nil up in their own heads. Mm. Uh, flip side, if Ireland start well, um, this is a Twickenham crowd that hasn't been as vocal as some in the past because there's still um, a little bit of disaffection with the way England are playing. I mean, everything right now, everything is wrapped around, all the positive feeling in English rugby is wrapped around Marcus Smith. You know, every game it's like, well, Smith gets, you know, Smith gets man of the match, ITV, BBC. It doesn't matter. He ran out of the pitch well, he gets man of the match. Now, I happen to think he is a fine player at, He's very much, though, the positive hub of everything English at the moment. You know, even the, the Maro Atoje chants have gone quiet. So I don't think it'll take a lot to shift the balance of psychological pressure right onto England if Ireland start, as they did say, against Wales. You use the word disjointed there. It's inevitable, isn't it? Because I was just reading, so Tom Curry and Alex Dombrandt are available but Robert Kitson was pointing out, if you take the Dublin game last year, there might only be four starters from that game at the weekend in Curry, Sinclair, Itoje and Yules. 
Now, Ireland, by dint of playing numbers, not in a million years could we forego 11 starters in a 12-month period. I don't know, is there like a paradox of choice quality here to what Eddie Jones is facing? He seems to just not be able to figure out what his best team is. And I, I have some sympathy for him in that he doesn't have that many games to try out all these many, many combinations available to him. And therefore, they do seem very disjointed. But does that fully explain why they're so disjointed? No, it doesn't. Uh, they're disjointed because Eddie Jones was a year late in starting to think about the, the, the broader vision, the World Cup. He was just obsessed with results. And England had this dire, dull, awful kicking game in the autumn of 2020. And they lost three games in the Six Nations without playing well. And he kept picking Saracens players who were playing at a second tier level. And quite clearly, uh, there was a chance that they were not going to be informed that they were going to be rusty. And Jones did nothing then. He was a contrarian. And we got the start of this season and he left them all out. So in a way... This um, change of personnel is Eddie Jones's choice. Uh, the Manu Tuolangi thing, you, I can't buy that. Tuolangi is one of the most unfortunate injury-ridden players of the last 10 years. You can't say Tuolangi's out. That's a given. Um, most of it uh, has to be uh, erratic selection. You know, uh, Young's is in, he's out, Randall starts. It wouldn't surprise me had Young's come back for this game though I would have thought it was a, a crazy decision. But um, Eddie Jones is using this mid-period. I don't think he's he's building a, a fluid path towards the World Cup. He's just frenetically trying different options. And right now, you know, I, I don't think it, it's impressive coaching. I don't know what you think, Keith, but the selection just, it, it's, it's all over the place. In the autumn, England were playing a fast game. They were playing with tempo. They got to the Six Nations, they slowed down again. I'm, I'm not quite certain um, what England are trying to do. I hope for their sake that the players are, but I'm not sure on that either. No, and I, I think at, at times there's elements of fear almost of players coming out saying anything negative. And, um, you know, and you need to be able to have those arguments inside the camp, even if you're not able to voice them outside the camp. But I don't know if that's happening either. Um I call it disjointed because I think it's quite destructive on young players if you're picked and dropped. You know, it takes a period of time to get used to playing. And a lot of guys, and you know, and it's quite funny when you listen to fans at different times and they start talking when they see a player going, they want them to be fully formed when they wear an international jersey. But actually, there's a whole variety of different pieces that have to be put together in terms of experience to understand the nuance, to understand the time, the time on the ball, the space the lack of space, the intensity, the pressure, the beat of the crowd, the noise of the crowd, um, the pure crackling uh, electricity of, of, of a crowd, which is, which is incredibly intimidating until it's exhilarating. And that's the little, there's a little hurdle you have to kind of get over. And suddenly that happens and it's pretty great. Um, you want players to bed in, to get a run of games, to understand all of those things in one fell swoop. Not get picked, get dropped, get picked again, get dropped for three seasons, come back in again, get picked. You're kind of having to do it again. And is it the same? And it, you know, it changes every two or three years. So um, like I'm often reminded um, of the sign of Eddie Jones reminds me of an accelerated version of what Alec Ferguson used to do. Um, he was never changing. <clears throat> it was not about him changing, but let's change the team. 
So he changed the team every six or seven years, bring the new guys in, you win nothing with kids, all that sort of stuff. But he would make huge changes in the team in there, but he backed them and trusted them. This time, it looks like Eddie Jones is picking, changing, chopping, changing, not trusting them. Um, to get picked and to be told you play very well and then not to get picked, that's very tough. So um, understandable under certain circumstances. But when you're doing it to an awful lot of players, that means it seems to be well off. Now, it's whether he can use even that as part of the additional uh, mental work that you need to get a good, big performance in front of their home crowd. That is possible. And actually, strangely, England are the only team that could fall on two or three good victories and it could change everything about them because they have that inherent confidence that they can build that very quickly. So, uh, look, I don't know. I, For me, I, I think I'd find it very hard if you didn't know who you're looking and who was going to be playing beside you. Mm. And sure, to your point, in November, it was so much more mobile. And that seemed to be the direction he was heading. And Jones would talk about trends in the game and where the game is going. And, you know, I would look on because he's a very impressive man in lots of ways and think, God, this guy's so ahead of the curve. He's going to do us all again at the World Cup. He's going to be proved right. And so in advance of this Six Nations, he was even saying trends in the game, picking a more mobile pack. And then they've come out over the past few games and it's one-off runners and kicking the ball away at every turn. So I find <laughs> it very hard to, to make sense of what's going on. Yeah, well, I, I think... I don't think Eddie Jones would ever admit it, but I think he's feeling a bit of pressure as well, even if it's only the pressure of, of the ego. Um, you got to remember, England lost three games in the Six Nations last year. If they lose this one, Jones knows they go to Paris then, and for England to come to, what, win four Six Nations game out of ten, you know, in any sane world, that would be the end of the coach. And so it should be because it's not just the performances. England haven't been trying to develop their game like, say, France have for a period of time. They've been trying to get results. So they've been stuck as, as Ireland have accelerated, as France have varied their game and learned to defend and, and, and make good decisions when it matters. England have been uh, dropped off a year. They're, they're a, uh, there's a lot of people, one of the things I'm hearing in England now is that Ireland are going to be uh, a year ahead of the World Cup, as, as they were last time. But Joe Smith's team were absolutely at the peak of Smithism, just that slow plod, keep ball. This team are going in another direction. And it's not that Ireland are, are, are there too early. It's England are off the pace. They are a year, maybe 18 months behind Ireland, definitely France. And I think Eddie Jones is worried. And I think, you know, Eddie Jones isn't quite certain which way to turn at the moment. And he doesn't have. The other thing is, without Billy Vonipola, who he made the decision because there was so much stick last year to, to leave him out of the squad. He doesn't have giants to just carry you a metre or two. He doesn't have massive backs. Um, you know, if you look at the wings, Jack Nowell and Max Malins, they're skillful lads, but they're, they're, they're quite slight. They're will-o'-the-wisp, even though Nowell's a strong lad. And England don't have punch off, off um, Marcus Smith. So the easiest thing to do when you're struggling with your game is get over that game line, put the pressure on, and if you have to kick a ball and look for territory, you can do that. But England's game isn't geared towards that. And... 
Yeah, Eddie Jones, that's his mindset. That's what he wants to do, but he hasn't picked a team to do it. Keith, we were touching it with Brian Driscoll last night. You think of 19 and you think of 20, that period where Saracens were beating Leinster and England were beating Ireland. There felt like there was a physical disparity there. So Stuart feels maybe those days are gone. Is that how you would read it? There'd be nothing huge to fear physically from this English team in comparison with more recent years? I think they'll be incredibly tough and very physical, but I don't think they'll be as powerful. And there's a bit of a difference. So it's more heavy hitting. Um, uh, still big second rows. I think um, <clears throat> I wonder whether Launchbury will be back in the side. I think that's possible. Um, but uh, with the power that, that um, um, uh, I think that Stuart was talking about, that Vinopola was, you sit back, um, which was the traditional spot for for number eight uh, for kickoffs. So he'd get the ball, but he'd get it with an ability to run at pace. Um, a lot of the kicking has changed differently. And it isn't, um, uh, there's a lot of blocking that goes on that usent go on, and there's, which I believe is the right thing for the game. So it isn't, the game doesn't operate in the exact same fashion. So the idea is to try and move would be to move Billy around all over the place if he was playing. I think it's different with Alex Dombrent and Simmons. I think they play a different style. But there seems to be... I, I, don't, I, I don't think we're under as much pressure. And I think we will be under a lot of pressure um, come Saturday. But I don't think we're under as much pressure as we were in that last year um, under Joe Schmidt. I, I think everybody had analysed Ireland um, to the death and understood that actually any stopping of any play stopped how great they were after five or six phases or seven phases. But just don't let them get to that. Put them under pressure, get them to try and kick. Suddenly Ireland became an awful lot slower and not quite as accurate. And I still think there's far more within the Irish setup at the moment, structure at the moment, more options for different people at different times, less pressure on the 10. Um, uh, less onus on the 10 to have the ball in his hands uh, in every single phase, that makes a huge difference. And now there are ways to unpick that. And France showed how that could be unpicked and get the players put under a huge amount of pressure. And it's now up to Ireland to, to, to build on what is a pretty decent structure to try and make it um, possible to, uh, to unpick the opposition's defensive setup. Because you know England are going to put huge pressure on, uh, on that 13 hook that comes up so that there'll be no pass going out over the top. So that when Johnny looks, what he sees is, a, is an English player. They're going to do that. Of course they are. So what are Ireland going to do to counteract it? And we don't know yet, <clears throat> but I'm just glad we have this 18 months out from a World Cup because there's an awful lot more learning to do for this team, an awful lot more um, to deal with the different types of pressure that will happen with it. So that's that's what I see with it. I don't see it as being a power game as such. I see it as about being really physical and unbelievable attention to detail. And yeah. that's one thing, I just the, the last thing, I think we've sacrificed a little bit of our technique at ruck time mm. to have the quickest rucks possible. And I do think that's something. And if we get them really fast and really technical correct, I think England will struggle in the game. Yes, yeah, it does feel breakdowns crucial. Even Italy stole a few against Ireland. So Stuart, we've had Wales, which is one-way traffic for Ireland in Dublin. We had the Epic in Paris and we had the Italian game, which was uh, even more of a waste of time than it might usually be. So have you been impressed with Ireland? Where would you go after Ireland? What are the shortcomings? What are the, what are the good parts? I've been impressed with Ireland. Ireland, um, 
<clears throat> to be honest, so far the tournament has gone pretty much as as we thought with England perhaps just being a little bit inferior to what we thought. The big two have been clear. Um, I wonder whether England might just see a chink of light with two-thirds of the front row missing, not so much in the scrum, but their contribution um, at breakdowns as carriers um, is, is very large. And that Irish front row um, was a real weapon. So I think England will see... Uh, some hope there um but you know with with burn in the second row the, this irish breakdown machine bundiaki and burn and then you've got six seven and eight it, it it's a hell of a unit and that and people hitting at, at pace means they're getting the quick ball that england s- stopped wales getting mm. and gibson park interests me he's he makes a few errors but when he gets it right i thought by and large, against Wales, he did. He's very quick. And the quicker you get the ball into Sexton's hands, um, Sexton can play flatter on the game line. And Keith made that point about English hook defence at 13. I like the way, um, and, and again, I mean, these blokes play together all the time. But the Irish midfield and their back three combination are running lovely angles. And the other thing I've noticed uh, when Scotland played France and uh, Duham van der Merwe made a break, he started going right to left. His support players went with him and there was a terrible pass to Hogg who was going that way and it was called, you know, bad pass, missed opportunity. But the running lines were terrible. When Ireland breached that game line, I'm starting to look and see what I used to see from really good all-black teams. You get a guy on the left, a guy on the right, someone behind. People like Hugo Keenan don't get mentioned in England, but those are the little things that people like him do so well. And because you've got this Leinster core that knows each other inside out, I think it makes them very hard to stop with quick ball. Now, I think in the end, France had the power to be able to stop them and slow them down. And that won them the game, even though Ireland came back. Um, It's a very big question whether England can do that and whether England will be allowed um, to go over the top as both England and Wales did. Um, the breakdown, everyone was off their feet. I was talking to a ref at Gloucester this weekend and I wondered, uh, has the law of the breakdown changed? Can we just throw ourselves off and use uh, our hands to support body weight? And if a referee decides that we can't and he wants a contact at the breakdown, I think England are in trouble. If they're allowed to do that, They can slow Ireland down. They can maybe irritate the scrum half. Then you get to Sexton. Then questions are asked. Johnny drops deeper. There's a bit more kicking in the balance game. We're in a game then. Okay, interesting. Uh, Keith, uh, Stuart mentioned the speed of Gibson Park. Just to bring up something I brought up last night. So I don't have a vendetta here against Conor Murray. It's just there's a degree of repetition. So I brought it up last night. It was an interesting point. So I want to get your thoughts as well. Uh, generally, we've had Murray in situ and we've had Pace off the bench to quicken things up at scrum half. Now we have Pace starting and we bring Murray off the bench and there's no injection of tempo. If anything, it slows down. I wonder, is that the right impact off the bench for Ireland going forward, especially this Ireland? Uh, well, you definitely have a vendetta. No, uh, the, um, it's funny. I, I, I've been looking at it. I, I think Gibson Park is exactly as, as um, Stuart has described He's very quick to the ball. He's very quick away from it if it's clear. If he's fighting for it, 
he's not as not as effective. Um, some of his passing isn't as crisp. Um, I think he's done incredibly well, and so there's criticisms in there, and I think he's done incredibly well. I don't think Connor has been anywhere near the standard that we would have liked him to be. Um, I'm st- still thinking that, um, like, it's very hard, but the future in Ireland is uh, Nathan Doke and Craig Casey, and they're the guys that are going to be there. They play different styles of rugby. Um, <clears throat> but And I do think if Connor comes on, it's to come on to play fast. And he hasn't been doing that too much. So I think it's a it's a reasonable query in relation to Connor because um, I think if you look at what he's played for the last three or four years from when he came back with that bad injury, he's been playing on teams that have been looking to slow the the um, the ball down, slow it down, box kick it. Um, when certain parts of the field you you're not looking to speed it up. So for me, my level of frustration with him is if I ever see him put his foot over to say, slow down the ball and don't, don't give it quick. I think that's not the way Ireland should be playing. And so uh, that's not to say he shouldn't be on the bench, but I wouldn't want him on the bench looking to slow the game down. I don't think that's what Ireland has to be looking for in the next 18 months and for the game at the weekend. So um, would I say change it at, at present? I understand why you'd have him on the bench in Twickenham. I really do. I think it's an incredible a leap for people. Um, it is one of the hardest places to play in international rugby and you want a seasoned head to go on there and do a job. But like I'd often be with it, you don't have to play the way he's played up to now. I'd like to see him play slightly differently. Yeah, Stuart? Um, well, there is, the, there is the fact that sometimes 80 minutes of rugby isn't just about starting in uh, overdrive if you can and staying there. Sometimes you've got to bring the pace down. And it was something um, for the last World Cup, England weren't very good at it. They either started fast and stayed fast. They had a tour of South Africa where they get in front and they couldn't control the game. They couldn't actually start playing territorial. And then they started playing territorially and they couldn't run. Uh, and, you know, there, there may be the case uh if Sexton goes at 60, 65 at his venerable age, who could criticise him if he only lasts an hour, hour and five? You might say, well, we don't want to bring on a, a, someone younger to just accelerate it more. Though I think Carberry's a, a fairly mature head. But I think then you'd say, right, OK, we've got an eight point, ten point lead. Mm. We can actually build that lead, not by being negative, but by forcing England to come from deep. And, and I also think looking at this England team, I don't think they're set out to play rugby from 75 metres because Eddie Jones has imbued territory, territory and, and possession into their heads. So I, I know what Keith is saying, um, but there is a time and place sometimes when your impact sub, his impact is to slow the game down and to get more territory. And it might just be that this time... Uh, if Conor Murray can find uh, a vestige of decent form, that Ireland will find themselves with the right replacement at nine. Okay, very good. Uh, if I had to push you both for a prediction? Um, I think Ireland will win, and not with the ludicrous optimism that's out there, but I think four or five points. Hmm. Um, I would say Ireland by between six to ten points. Hmm. And Will Jones, I mean, if he goes to Paris and loses, 
It seems like, like he's untouchable at the moment. In, like the R, yeah. RFU are, are fully invested. The, the, the RFU management uh, are well aware that there will be calls for Jones to go if they lose the next two games, especially if they don't play well. Um, but if the RFU, halfway through uh, his tenure, let him carry on to the World Cup and to dismiss Jones would be to say we got this horrendously wrong. They're saying they can't afford it, it's too expensive. It's nonsense. The RFU, when they get 82,000 people into Twickenham, make a lot of money very quickly. They, they can cover their debts. They're a profitable business, even in these difficult times. Um, but I'm afraid their pride won't allow them to do it. Um, you know, I, I personally think if England were to somehow win at Twickenham and, and perform decently in Paris, then you'd say on the balance of all probabilities, you might as well run him through to the World Cup. Yeah. They lose this one and they lose in Paris. I'm going to be time Sunday times, you know, calling for the head as, as I have been for years because England are not uh, achieving the sum of their parts, whereas Ireland under Farrell and France under Galtier are, are going extremely well. Okay. Uh, France to win in Cardiff? Yes. Keith? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Very good. Uh, gents, thank you both so much. Our rugby coverage is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team, team of us, everyone in. Keith Wood, pleasure as always. Thanks a million. Cheers, Joe. And Stuart Barnes, thank you so much for dropping in again. We won't, we won't nag you again for a while. I don't mind, Joe. Lovely to speak to you both. Take care. Wednesday Night Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. 